The rest of you, open up to John chapter 3 and have a piece of paper in front of you. If you don't have sermon notes, uh, I'd invite you to raise your hand right now and our skilled team of trained experts will get you a piece of paper uh, in your hand. Um, I can divide this room into two groups of people, those who like pop quizzes and those who don't. Let me say right now, I'm about to thrill some of you and disappoint some of you right now. I want you to get out a piece of paper, and um, if you are a note taker and you want to leave lots of room in your sermon notes and you don't want to put it on there, you can, you can use something in front of you. We have uh, things on the seat back for prayer requests and letting us know you're here and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to have two columns, so just draw a single line between it. Um, and you could put like a positive and a negative uh, on the top of those two columns. That might be the easiest way to, to do this. If you can't tell, we're in uh, parent-teacher conference season right now. That means that we go to a lot of these. Um, and we just got to see some assessments of our children at the start of the year. So here's an assessment of where your kid was at. Here's how we've taught And then here's an assessment of where your child is at now. And I got to thinking this, that church is certainly more than Sunday school. It's more than an information center, um, but it's not less than that. A huge part of actually how how the church functions is instructive. It is learning. And and one of the things that, that we do with tests, or if you're a sports person with practice, is you practice while it's safe to make the mistake so that when the real thing shows up, you're already prepped for it, okay? So for some of you, this may be a very easy pop quiz. For others of you, this may be a giant struggle. That's okay. Um, we're just assessing kind of where you're at at the start of the morning, okay? Deep breath. Oxygenate the brain. That's good. Uh, don't stress this, by the way. Some of you are like, oh, man, this is a little PTSD from third grade. Um, here is the question, and you can work in tandem. I'm going to give you about 30, 45 seconds for this. But on the positive column... I want you to write what saves you according to a biblical idea of of salvation. So what saves you under the positive column? What doesn't save you under the negative column? Okay, so everyone has an idea about this. Christians are known about talking about salvation and those kinds of things. So don't get too deep and theological here. But what saves you? What doesn't save you? Fair enough? You guys can turn and talk to each other if you want, um, but just... uh, Write down a few thoughts about what saves you and what doesn't save you according to the Bible. All right? Go. You don't even need to use the number two pencil. And don't think in your mind. Actually write something down. You're like, would you quit talking so I can think? All right, raise your hand if you're done. Okay, uh, listen, you can keep working on this if you'd like, uh, if you can multitask. Um, again, it doesn't need to be a long thing, maybe just a few bullets on each side. Here's what I hope to do. I hope to have you look back at that list, even as a part of your community group. You might look back on your list and say, yeah, I'm pretty happy with my answer. I've thought about this, and I'm pretty equipped with that. Or I didn't know some of those things. I actually learned something this morning. Um, Or you may be walking in here. At any given time, there are people who walk into churches all across the world and have a misunderstanding of what Jesus offers. 
If you were here at the start, good job. Uh, church starts at 10 sharp, by the way. Um, we open with the Word of God. Sometimes when I'm with my family, I'll say, stop and listen. The most important thing you will hear all day is about, to, is about to happen right now. And we might just read two verses out of the eternal Word of God and just set the tone that, like, no matter what this guy says, whatever else, when I'm reading the Scripture, we can know we can take that to the bank. So Lucas started in Acts chapter 3. That what I have to offer you is not silver and gold. That's not the offer of Jesus. What I have to you, I give to you in the, name of Jesus, in, in the name of Jesus Christ. And in that instance, the person was healed from not being able to walk. And he went into the worship place dancing and singing and, and using his legs for the first time. It's a really good thing to understand what salvation looks like. What is actually being offered. So many people, maybe this morning, are rejecting an offer they don't understand. So that's what we're going to dive into this morning. Let me have you set your little test aside for a second, okay? We'll we'll kind of come back to it. Um, Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you did not feel safe? When was the last time that you thought there was imminent threat of danger? I want to take you back there in your mind, because all of us have felt that on some level, and when it's acute, when it is like pressing, either physical or maybe emotional, or spiritual, where you just go, I am in grave danger right now. What happens to your world is it shrinks, and all of your priorities go to one thing, it's survival. In fact, if you don't feel safe, you can't function at a lot of other things. You certainly can't learn. A huge part of what what I pray happens in this room is let this be a sanctuary, God. What's a sanctuary? Think of a bird sanctuary. You don't allow hunters in a bird sanctuary, right? Birds are able to just thrive and sort of kind of like let their guard down. Something we say all the time here is come as you are. Many people feel they, they need to clean up before they get into church. Nonsense. It'll never happen. So I pray this is a place of safety week in and week out, a place of truth where we can just say, God, you already know anyway, so let me just, let me just open myself up to what you would say to me. If you don't feel safe, not much else matters. Here's the question, though. Can you ever know that you're truly safe? Can you ever know that you're truly safe? Let me take you back to 2020, all right? We just had a worldwide experiment go on. It wasn't, it was our, just our life. But where all of a sudden, every person on the planet, we don't really know that because we don't talk to everyone, but seems that the entire planet was talking about their safety from this dreaded disease. And so all kinds of conversation went on, and I want you to think about where you are maybe right now and where you were when this first started to unfold. Can you know that you're truly safe? Think about what came out. The word quarantine, masks, plexiglass. Some of you may have gone the bubble boy route route where you just wrapped yourself in a giant, like rented one of those things and just lived in there. I don't know. But uh, there were some extreme things taken. You have to know what the danger is. You have to know yourself. As information came out, there were certain populations that seemed to be getting it at a higher rate than others. Here's Here's the reality. Right now, currently, you either have COVID or you don't. Right in this moment. Is that true? That's factually true. Now, you may not know it, but there's, there's objective reality that says you, are, you either have COVID or you don't right now. 
And so then you, be, you begin to think about, well, how, how can I know that I'm safe? How do I take measures to be safe? Where did you place your trust? I'll tell you who suddenly, like weird things that we all know this, like Dr. Fauci. No matter what you think of Dr. Fauci, then or now, many people place their trust, trust in Dr. Fauci. People say, well, I'm placing my trust in the data. I'm placing my trust on a screen and this talking head. I'm placing my trust in the fact that I shoved something up my nose and for 15 seconds it swabbed around. I think it touched parts of my brain and it said I was safe. I put my trust in a shot or a booster or multiple shots. Here's the truth. No matter how extreme measures you took to be safe or how much you said, I don't trust any of that, do you see that uh, whether you're an extreme safe precaution, take everything, you know, build your house made of plexiglass, whatever, like keep, keep safe distance, or doing none of that, or you're some kind of a moderate, every one of those requires faith, right? They all require faith. Because if you're over here doing all these safety measures, you're placing your faith in something, right? There are gaps in knowledge. If you're, if you're saying all of that is wrong, you're making the decision saying, uh, my faith rests in something else. But here's what didn't save you either time is your faith. Can we agree on that? It's not the fact that you had faith that either kept you safe or didn't keep you safe from COVID. In the same way, it doesn't matter that you have faith or don't have faith as to whether you're saved in a host of physical and certainly spiritual conditions. And we'll kind of unpack that as we go. Saved is a way, it's kind of like Christianese, for those of you who don't know, of asking someone if they're a Christian. I was just in the South a couple of weeks ago, and this might be more popular in the South. Are you saved? If you do that here, what would you get as a response in the Bay Area? From what? Like, what are you talking about? But saved is a way of people sort of asking another person if they're a Christian. Here's some more examples. Are you a believer? Are you a follower? Are you a disciple? Are you a Christian? Now, all of these have sort of their strengths and weaknesses. Um, But here's maybe a better question, maybe a more pertinent question. I'm going to toss this out. This would be a great conversation. Are you alive? I don't think I've ever had someone come and say, are you alive? But that might be a really good conversation starter. Because people are like, uh, can you rephrase the question? Like, you don't have no idea what that means. But what we're going to see today is Jesus used life and death language as well. I don't think any of those others are necessarily wrong in and of themselves. Now, I grew up in a time here in the Bay Area when um, our church, and this is sort of a nationwide thing too, used the term born again. Are you born again? Raise your hand if you, if you were kind of in that, in that camp. Are you born again? Now, again, if you're in the South today, 2022, some preacher somewhere, lots of preachers somewhere said, you must be born again. But born again is how, is how we do it. And, and here's, what, here's what it was. It was sort of distinguishing between this idea uh, that was prevalent when I was growing up here in San Jose, that if you were American, you were Christian. And using the term born again was distinguishing, I don't mean you were born in America. 
I mean something different than that. It was a conversation start. It was a way to engage in a spiritual conversation with, with, with someone. Now, here's what's strange. There's a strange and dangerous idea, and that is that this is sort of coming back, where to be truly American means you're Christian, and if you're truly a Christian, you're an American, and there's this whole thing that actually, like, that messes with both of those words. It perverts both of those words, shrinks God to a single country. Born again, the term, fell on bad times, as in those born again types. Are you one of those born again types? But born again, even though it fell on bad times, it's not a bad term. It's a biblical term. It's a Jesus term. So what I'm going to do today, very specifically, is talk about the idea of being born again. In the genius of Jesus, this idea of being born again is a metaphor that is utterly packed with theological truth that's so incredibly portable. It is not hard to remember the words born again. And what we're going to do today is sort of talk about this uh, in an effort to help think clearly about it. In short, I want to look at the doctrine. It's called the doctrine of regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration. It's being born again, being made new, being transformed by God. I want to look at this because sound doctrine and knowing these things is so vital. If you actually misunderstand this, what happens is, remember when Jesus talks about a life that's built on sand rather than the rock? If we, under, if we misunderstand what it means to be saved, we could think we're safe when we're not. We could be saving ourselves from something that is not a threat while oblivious to something that's an imminent threat to us. So it's not only important for individuals to get this right, it's actually important for whole churches to get this right. Because me always affects the we, right? If we collectively as a church don't have a right understanding of regeneration, of what happens at conversion and how that happens, we could be a church that is built on sinking sand. This happens all the time. So sound doctrine is something we've been looking at through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It's what we build our life on. How do you accumulate sound doctrine? A set of beliefs. That's what doctrine is. Everyone has a doctrine. It doesn't matter whether it's sound or not. Well, it's gifted to us. It's revealed by God to us. 1 Timothy 1.10, in an interesting passage, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says um, all these, all these like, immoral things that are going on. And then he adds this one little phrase where he says, and whatever else, after this litany of immoral things, that the judgment of God is coming on, he says this, and also whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So there's a whole set of beliefs that we should be soaking our brain in and being able to recognize immediately. That's not sound. That's not sound doctrine. That's, that's getting conversion all wrong. We are to give ourselves to learning God and his ways and then live our life based on what we learn. That's what sound doctrine is going to require. It requires us to give ourselves to learning about it. Let me tell you two very quick stories of two different people who had wrong ideas about Jesus. Maybe you see yourself in this, your own story. Maybe you see someone that you're currently 
um, caring for and praying for that, God, would you lead me into a spiritual conversation with, with this person? One of them was Jesse. Jesse showed up in our college group, and Jesse literally had never heard the name Jesus Christ outside of a curse word. And it was such a thrill to see Jesse welcomed in very, very well by a warm, loving Christian college community and to learn that Jesus Christ is not a curse word. Jesus Christ literally took the curse for us. We're the curse. The curse is on us. And it was really fun to watch him go through that process. That's Jesse. Let me use another one. I'm going to pick on the name Russ. Russ happens to be sitting right up here. It's not this Russ right here, but it's just what came to me in my notes this week. Sorry, Russ. I changed the names to protect the not-so-innocent. Um, Russ is a guy uh, that basically got the message that Jesus could help him out. Now, yes or no, can Jesus help us out? Yes. A resounding yes. But here's how Jesse went about it. He heard that Jesus could help him out. So Jesus, I mean, uh, Russ said some stuff. He attended some stuff. He did a bunch of stuff. He even bought some stuff. And then he determined after all of that, that Jesus helping him out was a total myth. It's a complete sham. And he didn't just say it partway, attend partway, buy halfway. He went all the way. He's like, if I'm going to do the Jesus stuff, I'm going to do it like better than anyone else around me. And then he was utterly convinced. I had, I had several conversations. And I was like, Lord, help me. How can I be clear that you're not just a, a genie to like do these things and then you're going to, you owe this person something. There's misunderstandings about Jesus all around us all the time. There's misunderstandings about Jesus in us all the time. Jesus as a curse word. Jesus as a genie. And everything in between. We need God to give us clarity on what, what is really happening. Sound doctrine leads to sound faith which leads to sound hearts, which leads to sound consciences. I'll tell you the ultimate goal of sound doctrine is sound living. We can't really begin to mature in something if we're pointed in the opposite direction of where we should be going. This whole discussion of regeneration, let me, let me talk to three different groups of people here. Number one for Christians, as we talk about regeneration and what happens at conversion... I hope to take you back to your own conversion. I hope to take you back to, um, to, to re-magnify your Savior in your own heart. Just go, God, that's such, it's such good news what happened. You changed me. I remember who I was. I remember how I tried. I remember where I was at. And you changed me. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I hope to take you back there. But there's a second reason I hope for those of who I'm talking to who are Christians, I hope that this re-energizes and re-clarifies how you open your mouth and bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. I hope to show you this morning, remind you of some truths that you already knew. No, these glorious truths that we hold on to. 
and that it will actually sharpen and hone and encourage you such that you'll be an effective and fruitful witness for Jesus Christ starting today. That's for Christians. How about for non-Christians? If you're not a Christian here, here's my prayer. I pray that you'll listen to Jesus for what life in him is all about. We're going to read from John 3. We're going to hear from Jesus directly. Listen to him uh, specifically. Us followers can sometimes cloud simple things, and we can sometimes simplify really complex things. We need God's help, and he does. He helps us. But I pray that you'll lean in and just kind of listen. Maybe some of you aren't sure. Maybe some of you are like, I thought I was a Christian, but I'm not so sure right now. I have doubts. Does that make me not a Christian? I might be a Christian, but I'm not sure of how that all happened. Here's what I want you to do. Again, I'm praying for clarity that you'll lean into the words of Jesus and this, uh, this interaction with this guy, Nicodemus. I'm praying for you this week. I've been praying, God, would you speak directly to people by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you open their minds? Would you open their hearts? Would you change their will to submit to what you have to say? All right, John chapter 3, hope you're there. Let me show you a really simple command that Jesus gave. And this is something that's good to come back to time and time and time again. Jesus commanded, follow me. One of the things Jesus didn't command is figure me out. So the starting point isn't figure out Jesus and you'll just get it all all hammered. We live in in a very well-educated part of the country. We live in a problem-solving part of the country. The problems we're trying to solve in this area are being exported around the world on a host of different things. So maybe a go-to thing is, let me just figure this out. Jesus says, follow me. With, with two simple words, um, Jesus does something. He, he gives us a call that is um, a difficult life. He's, he's un, unequivocal about that. It's also an infinitely rewarding life. He sets up three things very, very quickly. He sets up who he is. He's the commander. He sets up the role of everyone who would follow. We're the followers. That's what we do. And it actually lays out our mission. What is my mission as a Christian? I can come back to this over and over and over. I'm to follow. That's it. So in two words, this this command of Jesus, some will respond today, some will not respond today. You're not following me or not following me. I'm not the one issuing the command. The clear life of Jesus is follow me. And this morning, what you're going to hear is our commander, Jesus, say that you must be born again. You, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, me. You must be born again. Raise your hand if you remember your birth. Anyone? Okay. Uh, Anyone sign a waiver uh, at their birth saying, I choose to be born or choose not to be born? Does that exist yet? No? The most foundational thing about you, the fact that you're even alive, you don't even remember. No one asked you. No one sought your permission. You just were. God chose to create you. This idea of birth is so powerful and profound. What we're going to talk about today is the new birth. 
How many of you, raise your hand if you remember a moment when you were born again, when you say, I was saved? Raise your hand if that's you, okay? Now, let me just set this out in front so that there's, some of you have been taught different things. Let me just say from the outset, um, I remember a very specific moment. If you've been around here a long time, you've probably heard me talk about it. My wife is unequivocally a Christian. She does not remember a specific moment and day. So let me just say at the start that, that either of those experiences are equally valid. I would say either of those is equally suspect also. So let me ask this. How many of you are a Christian, and you know that to be true, but you don't remember a specific day or time or place? I know there's one. Okay. So look, keep those hands up for a second. Look around the room. Okay, so, so I, I want to set that out at the beginning because there's been some misteaching about that and we're going to see this in this exchange in John 3 in just a moment. John chapter 3, first of all, I want you to pay attention um, to what being saved is not in these first few verses. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Pull out your list. I want you to see if anything on your list is on my list right now. Here's number one. Here's what doesn't in and of itself save you. A come-to-Jesus moment. So Nicodemus literally is having a come-to-Jesus moment. And that didn't save him in and of itself. So having a big moment or epiphany doesn't save. How about this? Acknowledging Jesus is from God. That doesn't save him. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, already done, you're in. You just acknowledge that you know I came from God. That doesn't save in and of itself. How about observing signs and wonders? Observing signs and wonders and even ascribing them accurately to the God of creation does not save you. I bring this up because many people have said, I was at a service, I saw, I witnessed a miraculous healing. I knew that person, I knew that was healing. And so therefore I must be saved. I would point to John 3 and say, I don't think that's true. In fact, I know that's not true. Giving credit to Jesus, speaking well of Jesus, doesn't save you. Finally, doing nothing doesn't save you. Isn't that interesting? Jesus could have said, could he not? Oh, Brother Nicodemus, rest. You're already in the grace of God right now. There's absolutely nothing to do. That's a teaching called universalism. And there's all kinds of weird splinters to that that say you're already saved because God's a loving and gracious God. Raise your hand if you've heard some variation of that. Okay? That's everywhere. You get into a conversation with people, that is everywhere. Even if you know in the back of your mind, I don't think that's true, how do you know where to go? Go to John 3. Jesus doesn't leave well enough alone. He answers him and he says, you must be born again. So being a Christian isn't these things. It must be something else. Sometimes we get at what something is by sort of discussing, what do we know it's not? We know being a Christian is not showing up for church on Sunday morning. Don't you wish it was that easy? 
I mean, 52 times a year, you give an hour and 15 minutes, and you're in, you're, you can just live however you want. That seems a lot easier, honestly. That's not what it is. Let's keep reading. Jesus says this, you must be born again. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Listen to Jesus' answer. Truly, truly, I say to you, here's Revelation, friends. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Oh man, there's a lot of good stuff in here, but let me just touch on a couple things. The first birth, take a deep breath, let it out. If you succeeded, you're alive. Okay, the first birth is natural. The first birth being talked about here is born of water. Now, I have been around some birth in my day. My wife has given birth to four of our children. And let me just say this. For those of you married, young married, not with kids, hoping to have kids one day, let me just warn you, it's a wet process. It just is. I'm just saying that's the reality of it. There's a lot of moisture going on. So if you're squeamish about that, for nine months, prep for that, dudes. Like, get ready for that. Brace yourself. So there's a natural birth that just happens to, to all of us. Being saved requires something supernatural, a rebirth, spiritual, not natural. The mistake of Nicodemus is that he is, like all of us, typically small-minded to understanding what God is doing. So many of us, we're going to pray for missionaries this afternoon. Um, I just know this about us. No matter how long we have grown up in Christ, I'm convinced our prayers are too small. I'm convinced my preaching is far too small. The giant things God is doing. If you've been walking with Christ year after year after year after year after year, I hope your mind just continues to be blown away and go, no way, how how did I keep you here? How did I ever think I understood you when you were here? God, you're just so much more magnificent than what I could possibly do. What Nicodemus does is he goes very, very literal, and he goes, wait, 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 I have to go back in the womb? I don't want to do that. How is that possible? It's the human condition to kind of limit God. It's the mistake we all make. Unless God is opening our minds, we, we shrink God to what we understand, to our experiences, to what we would do. The way we think about this is so incredibly critical to all that follows. Being spiritually born after you already are clearly physically alive is so instructive to what's going on in life in in, in Jesus Christ. Here's a really revealing question. I ask this all the time. I will ask someone um, what kind of spiritual background. Many, many times people tip their hand. So I find the bridge. I don't just drop that in. I say, clearly you have some kind of spiritual background because you referenced um, good and evil. Or you 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 have this idea of the afterlife. What's your religious persuasion? Do you have a background? And then they'll tell me. And a great follow-up question is this. Are you practicing? 
Do you know that about 99% of people understand the follow-up question? In other words, they go, like, let me just pick on Catholics for a second. Someone says, I'm a Catholic. How many right now just know a non-practicing Catholic? Raise your hand. That's a category, right? You're either practicing or you're not practicing. So I asked them, like, are you practicing? And like, no, no, not really. I go, what do you mean by being a Catholic then? Well, my grandma was a Catholic. Oh, okay. Are you like a cultural Catholic? Like you do things that, yeah, yeah, I'm a cultural Catholic. Okay. Or someone says, I'm a Hindu. I say, are you a practicing Hindu? They say, absolutely. I say, what does that look like? Tell me about that. I'm not a Hindu. I don't understand that. I remember this one woman. She's like, well, I'm going to a conference in Japan next week. I'm like, that sounds like you're practicing. That sounds like you're pretty into this. So here's what's fascinating. Do you know what doesn't work for a Christian? A nonsensical question for a Christian is this. Catherine, are you a Christian? Are you practicing? Of course you are. Here's why it's a nonsensical question. Back to our alive or dead question. Are you practicing for a Christian is a completely nonsensical question. Imagine saying, are you a Christian? And I have a right understanding of that. And I say, yeah. And they say, are you practicing? I go, well, I eat once a week and I breathe you know, a few times a week as necessary. When I'm in a pinch, I breathe a lot. Guess what? You're, you're not practicing. Like you're, you're alive or you're dead. Like for a Christian, genuinely, um, being a Christian, here's, a, here's another funny thing. Are you a Christian? Sort of. That's a great question. I love going down that rabbit hole of, of a discussion. What does that mean? Because no one in here is sort of alive. You're alive or you're not alive. And so right thinking about this, paying attention to this, is really, really important. Here's what I want to talk about. Who does this involve? Why is it involved them and how? That's how we're going to kind of break this out the rest of the way, okay? Who does this involve? Um, everyone. That's the short answer. Is there a more universal experience than being born, right? That is all people everywhere for all of time. Everyone you ever lay eyes on is born. And so the genius of Jesus, again, is to grab this concept that's immediately understood by all and then to turn it on its head and say, there's a second birth. There's a being born again. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus is absolutely incredulous at that point. It's so counter to what he thought he knew. In verse 9, he says this. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Hear me, the requirement for being born again, the requirement for being regenerated by God is a requirement for everyone, period. That's really clear for us. It's helpful, it's so kind of Jesus to be clear. Jesus sets the scope. Are you Jewish? Yep. Are you a teacher of the law? Yep. Are you born with water? Yep. All right. <laughs> You're in. You must be born again. Jewish people, Gentile people, that's Jews or non-Jews, teachers, learners, everyone who's born of water must be born by the Spirit. Now, it goes on. I'm just going to skip down to verse 14. Listen to Jesus' words who one day not far from this encounter is going to be hung publicly on a cross to die for the sins of the people that he came to save, okay? 
Keep the cross in mind as he says this in verse 14. And as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Hear this, friends. That is a wide swath. Whoever believes in him. I said this last week in a message about being not broken beyond repair, specifically around foster care. You have never met a hopeless cause, ever. Uncle Joey that you're about to spend Thanksgiving with, he's not a hopeless cause. There's hope for him yet. That's really good news. Because whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. To understand just how good this news is, you have to first understand the bad news. Why is it true that everyone must be born again? That being born in water, being born physically, is not enough. The spirit must give birth to spirit. Well, I want to show you a few verses. But I want to start with this. Most every single person you ever meet thinks they're a good person. Ray Comfort does a masterful job of kind of testing people. Do you think you're a good person? Most people are like, yeah, I'm pretty good. And then he says, well, let me test you. And he rattles off a few of the Ten Commandments. For instance, how many lies have you told in your lifetime? And almost everyone immediately doesn't think about it. They're like, I don't know, a lot. Okay, what do you call someone who lies? It's a liar. And then he just kind of walks, walks his way through it. Most people think they're a good person, and let me prove it to you. We just had a voting cycle. Anyone hear anything about that? Okay. Let's just dominate every single thing of everything, and then it just kind of goes away. We just had a voting cycle. If people didn't think they were good people, here's what they would say. Here's my ballot. I don't trust myself because I know my own wickedness. I know my own short-sightedness. I know my own selfishness. I'm not going to vote. In fact, I'm going to let my neighbors and coworkers vote. Whatever they put, I'll just let them. Here, you fill it out. No one did that. Everyone thinks, no, 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 give me that thing. I'll vote. Don't you dare leave this to my neighbors and my coworkers. Do you know these people? No one turned in their vote because everyone thinks that they're a pretty good person already. God tells us a much different story. Perhaps the biggest hurdle today, right now, if you are not a Christian, you have not placed your trust in Jesus, is quite simply pride. It's that this news is so incredibly shocking and hard to swallow that you don't want to swallow it. But it's what the Bible teaches. That although you are born and you're physically walking around, you are spiritually a corpse. You know how weird the mind works? I dreamt last night that someone was trying to get a body into church service this morning. (laughs) There's certain like dreams and humor that only pastors' families get, but I'm sitting there and I I didn't even remember that I had this line in my notes until I reviewed it this morning. But I think subconsciously in my mind, I'm like, someone's going to try and bring a corpse like right into here. I'm like, we got to get rid of that thing. I can't be in here right now. Spiritually, we are, we are dead. We're born completely dead. Let me show you some scriptures just to kind of, um, kind of, kind of give us some, some refresher on this. Um, here's our condition at birth. We love the darkness according to John chapter 3. Uh, we are not seekers of God by nature. We are sinful minded. Catch this. We are unable to please God. 
We are incapable of that. We're controlled by sinful passion. We are children of wrath. Two weeks ago, I had Glenn Miller on this stage. He was my pastor for the better part of 10 years, one of my favorite professors at San Jose Christian. <laughs> Becky will give, give uh, testimony to this. Every time we had a baby, we'd bring our brand newborn. Our second born, Ethan, was born uh, a couple of months into starting serving with Glenn at Valley Church. And Glenn would come up to all the babies that he'd see, and he'd be going, oh, what a cute little sinner. Oh, what a child of wrath this is. And I'm like, Glenn, I know that's theologically right, but shut up. Like, that's my baby. How dare you? But Glenn just loved to keep it real. He's like, give me that little bundle of sin. He's like, he's going to grow up and just be a rebel from the start. I'm like, oh, and I'm like, he's right. Can we just have a few moments, though, of pretending that's not true? We are born sinful not just because of what we do or what our parents did. We are born sinful not just because of our environment. And we can point it back. Well, if I just had a different home or a better home, it's who we are. We bear the curse. We bear the the, the marks of Adam. Apart from a regenerated heart, that's where we are. To misunderstand your condition of yourself is to misunderstand the remedy. Let me take you back to the 70s just for a second. One of the things I wanted all the time in my school year was the right lunchbox. And um, I, for sure, had a $6 million man lunchbox, okay? Uh, some of you don't know, but the $6 million man is named Steve. What's his last name, anyone? Steve Austin. Yeah! We got some, we got some uh, Steve Austin fans. So I had, a, I had this lunchbox. He was a $6 million man. And at the start of this TV show... Which, um, which we got to watch once in a while, um, it would say this, we have the technology to rebuild him. Storyline basically is like, I think it's like a military dude that got injured like half dead and they built him back up into this technical marvel. Think Iron Man, but sort of different. And they would say this, he's going to be better and stronger and faster than before. I played with one doll growing up. It was my $6 million man doll. You could look through his head through his eye hole, and it had like a little cross, because he could see like super far away. Here's what Jesus doesn't say. Let me bring it back to now, okay, and to the Bible. You're like, man, I want one of those. eBay. Um, Nicodemus did not need to become better or stronger or faster or have supersonic vision implanted in him. He needed to be born again, complete heart transplant. I'll tell you one of the biggest mistakes that many, many, many people who wear the label Christian make right now, they think if I could just get better, stronger, more, as in more faith, more faithful, more spiritual, more holy, if I could just see a little bit better, I think I'd be good. Nicodemus didn't need any of that We don't need any of that. We must be born again. Here's a switchfoot lyric. I am my own affliction. I am my own disease. There ain't no drug that they could sell. There ain't no drug to make me well. You know, switchfoot's understanding, the doctrine of regeneration. We need regeneration because we aren't the cure. A change is needed at the deepest part. Let me tell you that the fact that a change is needed is not good news. That's actually terrifying news. Because if we're honest, we've wondered at some point in our life, maybe you're wondering this today, can people really change? 
at the deepest level, can, can people really change? If you've ever tried to change yourself, you know how futile that is. It just gets more and more frustrating to try and change yourself. So the fact that change is needed is actually scary news. The fact that it's possible is where the good news is. And I want to close out my time thinking about how that happens. How am I born again? How does change happen? What exactly goes on? Let me tell you from the outset, we don't know exactly. There's a mystery to it. God has chosen to reveal certain things, and I'm going to give those to you, but let's not try to figure it all out. There are aspects of this that, are, that live in tension, and we ought to just sit and marvel that we're not God. We ought to sit and marvel that, man, if it were up to us, we'd think, well, we've got to get back in the womb and somehow redo that whole process. That's going to be weird, but let's figure it out. God's got something way better in mind. The spirit, the word for spirit is, uh, is pneuma, same word for wind. I love that the movement of the wind is something that we can observe and celebrate and appreciate. We can even harness the wind, right? But we're not very good at really predicting the wind. It's hard to explain the wind. It's hard to draw the wind. There's much about the wind that we just simply don't understand. A part of our daily worship, friends, can be observing the movement of the spirit in us and in other people. If you've ever met with me, I say this as a church sometimes, let's call out the signs of life that we see in each other. If you are here and you're wrestling with the fact that you're so selfish, you can't possibly begin to think about putting other people's needs before your own, especially that person, that's a sign of life, isn't it? What does the flesh want to do? Of course I'm not putting that person in needs in for my own, especially that person. So the fact that you're even wrestling with that, that's a good sign. There's all kinds of signs of life that we can point to. I know some of you at this point are what I would call new birth nervous because you sound, it sounds like the birds and the bees. Uh, it is going to be that a little bit. Um, but let me, just, let me just paint two pictures and kind, of, and kind of wrap it up this way. There are some people... That, um, that we'll talk about and think about the new birth in Jesus Christ um, as I do nothing. So just as at your physical birth, you didn't choose to be born. It just happened to you. You had no power in that. The spiritual birth is not something that you can achieve. You have no control over it. All of that is true. So if you just say, then therefore I do nothing... I would say to you, you're flat out wrong, though. Because we all have all kinds of scriptures that we could point to about that. Not the least of which is this morning's. You must be born again, whoever believes. But a second camp is I do everything. And again, I think we live in a valley that says, okay, wait, what? I must be born again? Got it. Tell me the steps. I'll do it. I'll do it better than anyone else. Let me go achieve this thing. Jesus says, believe in me and you'll have eternal life. Got it. Give me a card to fill out. I'll walk the aisle. I'll walk it twice. I want, you need tears thrown in. I'll cry at that moment. I'll do it all just to make sure I'm covered. That's a wrong way of thinking about it. So the I can do everything camp and the I do nothing camp, both of those are written out as wrong according to the scriptures. Let me walk you through how the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, participates in our new birth and then how we do at the very end. 
First, the Father. Ephesians chapter 1 says this. Think about this. The Father sets his affection on you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen carefully. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one that he loved. Hear me clearly. If you are born again, it is God's doing. He blessed us, chose us, predestined us, adopted us. He has freely given to us. This is one short passage. We could go all through the scripture. It's a work of the fact that the Father set his pleasure on you. Number two, let's look at Jesus. How is Jesus there at the new birth? Romans 5, Jesus died the death we should have died, so we get the life we could never achieve. Here it is. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. By the way, I apologize. These aren't in your notes. <laughs> um, Romans, if you're taking notes, write down Romans chapter 5, 6 to 9. This is Jesus in the new birth. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So not only are we freed from the past, but given power and purpose to live in the present, and we have a future hope that is secure. Let me give you one more. The Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. If you're taking notes, jot down 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 to 14. That's what I'm about to read. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's just three passages. Let me give you one more. And quite intentionally, number four is where we come in. 2 Peter 3, or 1 says this, that God's given us everything we need for life and godliness, and sitting side by side with that is that we participate in his divine activity. So what's our part to participate in? It's belief. Belief plays a large role. I just read this, that we're saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Does your belief save you? Say, absolutely not. Absolutely not does it, does it matter what we believe. The demons believe, and, and they're not saved, right? So that's a really, really clear distinction to make. But belief plays a large role. Listen to Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then to the Gentile. 
In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas say to the jailer, uh, he says, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let me invite the band to come on up right now. Friends, salvation is a gift from God from start to finish. And what I want to say to you this morning is this. The role that we have in doing this is turning from sin and turning toward Christ to receive what he's already done for us. I remember a very specific day because someone gave me a very specific opportunity to make a decision to choose to follow Christ, to place my trust in Christ. We put on Christ like we would put on a parachute. We trust in a parachute to save us from a crashing airplane. We put on Christ in that same way. It's offered to us. All the work of the parachute's been done, but we make the choice to believe it. Here's my invitation. The band is going to play a song or two right now. If you have never made a decision to place your trust in Jesus Christ, I invite you right now, right now, during this song, come forward. I'm going to be sitting up here. Gria is sitting right here. If more come than I can talk to and Gria can talk to, I just want to invite, if you're a community group uh, couple, would you come forward? If you're an elder couple, come forward. Today, if you hear the voice of Jesus, don't harden your heart to it. Receive it. Respond to the invitation. Say, I put my trust in Jesus Christ today. God, thank you for drawing us. God, I thank you. Part of the relief of this for Christians is it's not a turn of phrase. It's not that we get it all exactly perfect. God, we are to open our mouth and bear witness to what you've done in our life and the offer that is put out to all people everywhere that the gospel remains unchanged it is our glory it is our hope it is our power and it's available today this morning to all who would turn from their life of sin and trust in Jesus as the Savior God would you do your work and have your way right now Amen Church as we sing you're a Christian here, you could be praying and thanking God. God, thank you for my new birth. I know I was born of the water. I know I was born of the Spirit. I see signs of life everywhere. Pray for hearts of people that are in this room. Pray for hearts that live in your household, that work with you, that go to school with you, that live in your community. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. If you want to come forward and talk about it, pray with someone, uh, I invite you to do that right now.